Welcome, everyone, to another week with your host, Mordechai Weinberger, LCSW, that's Licensed Clinical Social Worker, and Harav Nissen, as we've got. Um, the number to call in with your question or comment is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858, or you can text us to 347-927-8398, 347-927-8398. We'd like to also inform you, you can always watch us live from the studio if you'd like to see us over at jrootradio.com, either on jrootradio.com on their website, or through the lakewoodscoop.com. You can see us over there, you can submit your questions. And as usual, we always take call-in questions ahead of the text because it's just more interactive. That's 718-683-5858. Looking forward, Mer Tzushem, to first start with a nice little simcha. The book, Be'ezus Hashem Yisbarach, should be coming out this week, should be hitting the stores Thursday, Friday, um, unless there'll be a little bump, but uh, should be hitting this Thursday, Friday. And it's a huge chos that I find that the book is called Alive, Ten Steps to a Vibrant Life. The concepts of the book is that there are about ten yesodas, ten main points that when I work with people, that is a large focus that we do. They're about foundational life experiences or foundational views of how to view something. And if we view it as a negative, then we seem to knock us down. But if we can view it, oh, this is normal part of life, or these are certain thoughts that we can have and continue and then say, oh, this is a normal step. It's okay if these things happen. Then we can continue moving on. So, for example, a self-esteem. What are the thoughts that you have to build a self-esteem? How do you know if you have a self-esteem? How to be able to make mistakes? How do you view mistakes? Are you going to knock yourself down? How to allow yourself to stop thinking for yourself, but yet also follow the main grain of society? How can you be able to set limits, yet at the same time be a yes person as well? how to find what's your strengths, what are your natures. You have different natures that we all have. How can we get help? We all need to learn how to reach and ask advice, but at the same time not get taken over by that. How to be able to have something steady, consistent, but at the same time to have great effects that it shouldn't just be that slow. And most importantly, the people are asking, how do you go from anger to forgiveness? It's about forgiving ourselves, about how to let go, and that's one of the main focuses. And last but not least is how to lead as a leader and not leading as a dictator where people would want to listen to you and as well within yourself, how to be able to let go. These are just the headings of the titles, but the information is tremendous with 10 pointers, how to build on each of those, on each of those, on each of these chapters. And it was geared in a way that it can be written for teenagers, for adults, for business. It's about the foundational understanding, how we are, who we are, what's needed. And we all hit bumps along the road. That's a given. But if you have a certain way of thinking, those bumps will either turn into huge mountains that seem so great that we can't overcome and they will start holding us back. Or there's a way to understand that and say, wow, now the Rabbi Shalom is giving me the opportunity to learn. And I still got 10 years to master this. There's just life. There's excitement. There's time for freedom. There's a little space for enjoyment as we're going through the process. The number to call in is 718-683-5858-718-683-5858. I see we've got someone. Let's take the callers and then we'll continue with that. The number also for those that would like to text, it is 347-927-8398, 347-927-8398. All right, so we're going to go to 
Mrs. R. Miss R. What did you say that was? Mrs. R. Hello? Yeah, hello. Yes, hi. You're on the air with Mortify. Yeah, hold on. Um, hi. How could you be friends with, like, three three girls, but they're each, like, not friendly with each other, but, like, you you don't want to lose them? Like, if you're being one girlfriend and the other one gets insulted, and, like, you're, like, trapped. Ah, so this is a fantastic question and a teenager question. Why is it a teenager question? Because teenagers, and for those that don't learn how to change the way of thinking, we're, get stuck in an all-or-nothing way of thinking. That means either I'm everyone's friends, either everyone loves me, or no one likes me. Either I'll be friends with everyone, or I'm completely alone. And what we would like you to recognize is that each of those friends are different type natures. And they might not all be friends with the other one, but when someone will tell you, oh, you're this one's friend, and you can respond, and I am that one's friend. I'm yours and that one's and so many others. It doesn't have to be chosen. I don't have to limit it to either this one or the other one. Does that make sense? And then the other girl doesn't want to be my friend because I'm her friend. And you can tell that friend, so would, let, let's role play. Let's do a role play. So I am going to be you and you be the friend. So now go ahead and ask me. When I see you playing with the other friend, then... Yeah, yeah go over to me. Yeah, just talk, talk to me as if I'm you and talk to me. What would she tell you? She... She makes like faces. She's very like, she, and she feels like she's losing me. Also, she's scared I'm going to her, and like. Notice how you're not doing a role play. Role play means you're explaining. Um, what you're doing is you're explaining to me the situation. What I'd like you to do is, what will she tell you? Talk to me like I am you, and you are her. She doesn't say it outright. Ah. Oh yeah, let's say if I would ask you want to come with me to wherever. Oh, why don't you go with her? Like okay. with your other friends. So, okay, so I will be you. So I'll ask you, would you like to come with me to pizza? It's uh, Shabbos afternoon. I finished helping my mother. Now we can go out. Do you want to go walking? Or Shabbos afternoon, do you want to go walking after I take care of the kids? So why don't you go with her, like your other friend? Ah, so let me ask you something. Are you a little hurt that I have that I have some other friends? Mm, yeah. Oh, first of all, that makes sense. I can understand that you want me to only be your friend. But you know what's something interesting about me? I'm someone I like to have many, many friends. I don't just have one friend. Do you think we could be friends? Like, I have you as a friend, and you can have other friends, and well, like, I'll ask you, do you want to come with me? And if it's not good for you, you could say no. And if it's not good for me, I could say no. If it is good for me, I'll say yes. If it's good for you, you say yes. Or we could set up a time when it's a yes. But is that okay with you? If I also have other friends, I, I'm that type of person. I like having many different types of friends. Yeah, it makes sense. I just have to be open about it, I guess. That's it. Now, how, do you, how does it feel to you when you know you're allowed to say, yes, I have many friends, we don't have to hide, we don't have to feel bad for that? Right, feels good. Yeah, exactly. And we want to allow ourselves to be unique and individual. <coughs> Beautiful. Thank hey, you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Excellent. We're going to take over here the numbers to call for those of you that would like is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858, and we've got a couple of openings now. So we'll take over here a question. Hi, why in therapy do you or almost always go back to childhood? Why can't the therapist just say you are codependent, etc., instead of going to the childhood and bringing up lots of resentment? Well, you've actually given away the answer in your question. Well... First, let's clarify your question. Your question is, why do therapists almost always go back to childhood? And it really isn't true, this part. And let's clarify. There are different components to the brain. 
There is the emotional part, which are those parts we do go back to childhood. There's a logical part, which we give information, and we teach you, we reteach you how to think, and it's a large part of the book where we give a lot of information how to think differently. And certain awarenesses of certain thoughts that we have that isn't correct. So take the last caller that we just had with this teenage girl. We didn't go into her past. What's going on in her past? It was an informational question. And what we've done about the informational questions, we've given information. However, notice when you said, why, do they, why don't you just say it's codependent and change instead of going into childhood and bring up lots of resentment? Let's recognize that part of us are emotional people. That means emotional part of the brain, we need to follow those rules. The rules of the emotional brain is that whatever emotion is stored in there, it will keep on coming up over and over. So imagine you have a closet that's locked full of garbage and there's animals coming out. You've got bugs and mice and rats. And you're asking me, why don't you just stand at the door and just keep on sweeping away every time the bugs come out? And the answer is yes, that is one option that we can do. Or maybe we've got to actually open up the closet and start seeing if there are rotten foods there. Are there some old stuff that needs to be addressed? So therapy is something that where the therapist needs to evaluate what is going on in this room. Is the room just missing someone to teach them how to clean it up? Then you do more cognitive therapy. Is it someone that just needs to be taught how you hold the broom? How do you clean? When you, when you take off your clothing, where is the hamper? Where is the laundry? And then you just show the person how to do that. That could be behavioral. Where they know what to do, they just need someone to help them, guide them to do it. However, if there's old baggage stored away and that's smelling, you can tell the person how to take the laundry out of the room, but that's not what's smelling. It's other stuff. It's stuff of the past. And since people like to be just one thing, I won't ignore, I don't want to look at the whole picture, a therapist in evaluations, what we do is we actually check, is your past holding you back? Is it a current information logic? Or is it actual behavior on how to do? Each of those is something that a therapist, a licensed professional that has experience, will do the evaluation. I wonder if that answers your question. We're going to go over here. We got a couple of callers. Who do we go to first? Uh, Mrs. A. Mrs. A. You're on with Mordechai and Nissim. Hello. Yes. Okay. I wanted to ask you. Can you explain the difference between an introvert, someone with social anxiety, someone that's shy, and someone that has a fear of relationships? No. Oh, I'd like you to stay on the line for this one because you just gave me an entire mouthful. Let's go try each of them. Separately. So what's your first question? What's the first part? Can I... If you can ask me, give me some definition of it. Well, of what? Of an introvert. What would you say is an introvert? You know, you know, people don't get away that easy when you call in a question and have you work a little. What do you think is... Let's first put it this way. Why are you asking? I'd like to identify myself. Okay, good. So what, what do you think is an introvert? Someone that likes to be, you know, with themselves, quiet. Mm-hmm. Doesn't enjoy too much of, you know, interacting. That's right. And let's put it this way. Are they depressed? No. No. Are they someone that they don't have what to say? Are they shallow? No. No, exactly. I consider myself an introvert. Great. Now, what's the next part of your question? So what was the social anxiety? Social anxiety is, let me share with you an example that I've had many, many years ago when I first started in therapy. There was a person coming to me telling me, I'm a chasna, I'm getting married in about seven weeks, and you're going to have a hard time. What, why is that? He says, because I'm a chasna, I need to dance in the middle, you know, the chasna's dancing at the wedding, and I am afraid to be in public, and you can't change me. Why? Because it's my nature. I said, fine, let's do the therapy. We did the therapy in Baksham, there was a huge change. 
After the wedding, he came back to me. I asked him, now let me ask you a question. You told me I won't be able to get you to dance in the middle because it's against your nature, but you want to dance in the middle, and what changed? So he said, okay, I realize what changed. He said, my nature is not to be the first, second, or third one to dance in the middle. He said, but the nature that I cannot dance in the middle isn't either my nature. So let's identify. When what we've done in the therapy is we've taken away the stress, the fearful thoughts, the panic of making a mistake, and all those other levels, including having someone teach him how to dance in the middle, which he practiced. Once he had that, he says, I'm now able to dance in the middle. I just don't need to. But when I have to, I can. Social anxiety is the fear that if someone wants to, they can't. Their heart is palpitating where they're afraid, literally, to get panic attacks. They're worried about it. They think about it for two days later, if this one looked or that one looked, when they're in public. Does that make sense? So if someone's an introvert, they can dance in the middle. They just don't need to. They don't have to. And when someone's an extrovert, they're going to go to every single wedding. The bigger the crowd, the more alive they are. An introvert, when they're down, needs a little quiet time and they recharge their batteries. An extrovert, when they're down, needs a busy wedding and they just feel alive after. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Excellent. Did that answer your question? It does. So um, now, how would you diagnose yourself? I don't think I have social anxiety, but it's definitely more than introverted. Okay, great. And now, if you'd like to start helping yourself, recognize is it that when you're in a public place that's a little bit more than introvert, is it because people might look at you? Is it because you'll make mistakes? Is it because you don't have a friends there with you, like a social support group, which is always great. Those, that, those people that love going to weddings always love meeting people and people that they know. Is it that you might have had some bad experiences? Is it someone there is going to embarrass you? Are you fearful within yourself? Like maybe I'm a bad person. People walk around feeling they're a horrible person when people think they're tzaddikim, but and that's part of the reason why they don't like being publicly. Be in the public area, they just feel bad within themselves. How many of the points that I mentioned so far might be reasons for your... uh... None. None? Oh, wow, that's pretty impressive for me to be off on all the marks. So what would you say is the reason why you don't feel so good in public places? I don't think it's public. It's more... I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. More... It's, it's definitely not, uh, I'm not scared of the public. It's more like, you know, ha- having a conversation one-on-one with someone. Uh-huh. Yeah. And now going to what's the issue when you're wa- having one-on-one with someone? By the way, this is now more personal, so the question is if you want to continue responding, answering or not. I'm not sure what the issue is. Go ahead, think a moment. You're talking one-on-one to someone. You're talking to me. You seem to be doing excellent. Right. So what's the one-on-one when you start tensing up? What happens? I'm usually at a loss for words. I don't have what to say. What's the concern that you need to say? What's going through your head when you need to say something and you're at a loss for words? I just don't know what to say. People are expecting you to make a conversation. Oh, so is there maybe a pressure that you need to be right? You have to have what to say? No. No. I don't mind being quiet, but people expect you to make conversation. Ah, so the pressure is that when you got to talk, you always got to talk about something. You can't just stand and be quiet. You can't stand and be quiet. Do you realize what a pressure that is? It is. Oh, could you imagine what I would feel that if I have to have talking every single second and the call has to come and there's got to be a text? Oh, I could imagine the anxiety that I would have. In fact, I even have a, I've got all prepared in case no one calls and I've got her of Nissen to go schmooze with. 
But I need you to realize that that pressure, anyone that has that pressure would have a difficulty talking. Imagine I have to have... But the pressure comes because I do not have what to say. Oh, look how well you have what to say over here. I'm well prepared. Well then, let's, let's, let's talk about something you're not prepared about. Let's go talk about the weather today. Do you know what an amazing day I finished work today? And with this daylight savings time, there was, it was just so light. I was in such a good mood. Talk to me about the weather. What did you find about the weather today? It was nice to have the snow melting. Yeah. And what did you enjoy about the snow melting? You were able to walk properly without slipping. Yeah. And you know what's so amazing? Purim, which snowed. And while it was snowing, like so many people were complaining, and the amount of positive messages that I got on Purim, people saying that because we're discussing about just relax, let life happen the way it is, we're out of control, and here the Rabbi Shalom does things his way. So they brought Shalom as the day earlier, they brought it after. All that's going on. It, it was, to me, it's extremely touching how people just got better. Like, or people were healed, or, or just having a positive yantiv. And we've had a couple of messages of people calling in on the phone line that they're saying, unfortunately, how horrible it was for them, the yantiv of Purim, in general. And we just created the awareness, just kids should be happy, mothers should be happy, fathers should be happy. Just create the atmosphere and let go of the ribbons and let go of who you got to. And it was tremendous Kedush Hashem. What was your experience about Purim? Uh, I don't know. It was calm. How was it calm? It was snowing. Because we all stayed indoors. Yeah, but you missed. You missed. I'm sure you missed some places, right? Didn't you want to? Didn't you have to deliver some shalachmanas to someone? Oh, I, I love staying home. You love staying home, but didn't you feel bad that you made shalachmanas? No, I, I'm much happier and I'm quiet and calm. Yeah. So what you're saying is that even though you made shalachmanas, it didn't bother you that you didn't have to go out. No. No. And not one part of your mind was thinking, what a pity I made all the shalachmanas? No. And are you married? Do you have children? Yes. And what were your kids' attitude? They're also pretty happy to be home. They were happy? Even though they made shalachmanas, they didn't go to the Rebbe or to the teacher? We went to the teacher that lives next door, yeah. Okay. But didn't the other ones have a Rebbe or something? I only have one. Only have one, can I know her? Yeah, didn't you feel maybe you want to go to your in-laws? Out of town. Okay, now let me show you. Did you notice how I just went through three topics? One, okay. I didn't even give a second to breathe. I just went from you not having what to talk about to the to sweat uh, um, to the weather to the sunny weather today, then to Purim, and I didn't even give a chance to switch topics. Did you notice that? Yeah. Well, while you were focusing maybe on the answering the questions, I was changing topics. What I wanted to show you was a leader of a conversation can change topics as they want and people will follow. And if you look at the Gishmaka people that always have what to talk about, they talk about what interests them. They talk about their stomachache. I had such a stomachache, you wouldn't believe it. I thought I was having a heart attack. But your heart is, your heart is higher up, your stomach is low down. You would, and they go on and on about whatever. I wouldn't them. enjoy talking about a stomachache. Ah, so now what's happening is what we're starting to teach you is the rules of conversation. Rules of conversation is not the topic that people are interested about. The rules in conversation is if you're going to lead, you talk about what you're interested. So if you're going to meet people, try to have three or four topics ahead of time. For the men that daven for the Ahmed on Shabbos, I've heard from about Tefillah, and that was something I always have in my pocket, and the guy told me, always have two songs that you're always going to use as a backup song. 
So if you're ever going to daven for the Ahmed, and what song are you going to have? You always have two backup songs, no matter what, you'll use them. And it just takes the stress out of davening for the Ahmed so much easier for those that have that. It was a great idea. Can you think of two topics that will be your backup songs, your backup topics? What That's when I'm talking that? to people I know, but what about like... People that you don't know. Remember, conversations will go about you. I don't know you, and we're just talking about Purim, about my phone line. Small talk. I don't know how to do small talk. Well, you're doing amazing small talk. Pick a topic. I'm going to give you three topics to choose from. The moon, um, Obama's president, and uh, my book coming out. You know, I'm going to ask you to pick about my book. Talk about, make small talk about my book. Lead. Well, I'm actually waiting for your book to come out. I'd love to read it and see what I can gain from it. Really? What do you think is interesting about the book that you could gain from? Well, if I gain so much from your phone line and from your shows, I must... I'm sure I'm going to gain something from the book as well. So you gained something from my phone line? What did you gain? A whole lot of just recognizing myself, recognizing other people, realizing why I act and react. Ah, so you like talking, you, you get an interest in people. Mm. In about types, how people react, what they think, why they think. No, this is just an eye-opener from this. From ah, this is just an eye-opener. Wow, so you just did great chit-chat, small talk, and we can continue on and on about this, like we can go into more details. To make because chit-chat. you're good at conversation. What if that someone else is quiet as well? All right, so I'll be quiet. Go ahead, take over. A lot of people are listening, so we want to keep it talking, but go ahead. I have nothing to say. Ask me about the book. Ask me about it. Ask me about my... What great- does it take to write a book? Oh, patience. <laughs> Go ahead, ask me some of the difficulties about writing a book. Like, where do your ideas come from? I'm also interested in writing a book. Ah, tell me, what ideas are you interested in writing? I don't know. I have no idea. I just tell enjoy me some writing. ideas. Tell me ideas that you think would be great to write. Uh, I would like to write a story. About? About? I don't know. I have to come up with something. So you want to write a story and you don't know about what? No. Do you like? Do you want it to be a real story or a fake story? Fake. Fake. And about what type of person would you want it to be? A man or a lady? A family. Or a kid. A family. And is it a family that's married? A family that's divorced? A family that the parents are alive? What's What's happening with the family? Normal family. Normal family. And does the family have parnasa? Mm, I guess we'll figure that out. Excellent. So start writing it. So you could now start the family is I'm writing about a family and the family has now start filling it in how many children and as you start writing it you'll notice the creativity start flowing mm-hmm. the way I start writing the book is I don't I don't know what I'm going to write in fact the secret is not to know if I have to know what it is I'm going to be stuck so the concept is I wanted to share help and I originally started writing the book about a teenager and every chapter was about another session how I work with a teenager and I was going to put the foundation the information in there and then when I spoke to Art Scroll, they were telling me, no, we don't want to deal only with a teenager because of the teenager, you're not going to have parents write it, read it. You're not going to have um, people that want to build in their marriage to do that. You're not going to have people in the businesses that are going to want to read it. And I said, how about you take those foundations and you make each one a different chapter and completely isolate it one chapter from the next. So different information. I go, great. So I could take that, that book that I wrote about a teenager and now do it into separate chapters. But I could only know that once I wrote the book, and once you started, then you start touching it up. Then I put in the Gemaras, and then how do you do it? Then I put in the negative story, then I put in a positive story. And as I'm reviewing it, as I'm doing it, the book was touched up maybe a thousand times. 
So the secret is first start. Don't get it right. Start. And that's and from there it was about two and a half years later the book is coming to print Merit Hashem this week. Or how or going to say it's gonna be in stores. So just start. All right? Okay. Thank you. And just practice you. and one of the points is practice chit chat. Find a friend and say, you know something? I called up Mordechai Weimarger's line, I need to practice chit chat. I will pick pick six topics, random topics, and just go ahead and do it. And say, moon, like I said, just pick topics. Yeah, there's a chair in the room, talk about a chair. I like the black chair. And talk about, because there's now a black chair, there's a video camera here. What's going on with the video camera? Do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really don't enjoy that. Oh, but that's, of course you don't enjoy it. That's one of the chapters in the book, by the way. One of the chapters in the book is how to go through new beginnings. When I don't enjoy something, how do we learn to master doing it anyhow? Because that's the only way to get better at something, is if you do it anyhow. But if you do something you hate, you'll burn out. So that's in the chapter we go about the balance. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's something you're not good at, and you never learned how to get good at it, and now you're going to be stuck never being good at that. But making new beginnings, meeting new people, making chit-chat is just one of the foundations that we need to connect to people. We need to continue moving. Right, yeah. And if you're stuck at that level, look how, look how it's stuck. Look how you're stuck in so many different areas. I'm stuck in many areas, yeah. All because of this one chapter. Just how to keep on going, how to continue with the process of new, going out of our comfort zone, doing new things. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank Ms. you so much. You're welcome. Who do we have next? Mr. E. Mr. E. You're on with Mordechai and Anissim. Hi, how's everything? Baruch Hashem, I will ask you if you can just close the radio in the background because there's like a little delay. Sorry about that. Line. Great. Better? Yes. All right, um, I have two questions. Is it possible to ask them? Let's see how it Maybe I'll answer them quicker so we can do both. Okay, fine. So the first question is on myself, and the second question is regarding something else. Okay. So the question is, how does the person, you know, he does, he goes to Davin, he does, he does certain things, and, you know, and then later, you know, later during the day, he'll do something wrong. He'll feel bad about it. But then the next day, he'll continue doing the same thing over and over. Same bad, bad thing over and over. It could be a different bad thing, or it could be like doing something else, but in that, uh, you know, in that category, like something, something not, that Hashem doesn't want. Ooh, you, know? you just hit the one area where I can't cross over. So let's take out the word that Hashem doesn't want, because when it goes to mitzvahs and averis, my title that I go under is LCSW, that's Licensed Clinical Social Worker, not rough. Right. So okay, once it goes to that, we need a rub that will guide you on that. So let's pretend your question is, you're doing a behavior that you don't want to do, like you got up late over and over, or you're going late to places over and over, or, or one time it's being late and another time you're not able to make chit-chat with others like the last caller. Like, well, let's focus on that, those levels. All right? Okay. So for that, that's once again one of the main sites that you're going through that many people go through. They specifically put a chapter about that. And there are two chapters that have to do with that. But the most important level that I discuss all the time is perfectionism, and the permission to make mistakes. And that's what chapter two is about. The ability to allow ourselves to continue making mistakes. And I share over there a story how someone is, um, it's a rainy day and the kids want to play Pictionary and he's not a good artist. He's afraid to continue to play with them. And because he's not playing, he's not doing it. And once he learns the secret of making mistakes, he's playing with them, and he starts laughing. That's a horse. And the kid goes, I don't know, I thought you are making a mouse. And then they start laughing, and the whole family is enjoying with him. 
to recognize making mistakes, you will always do that 1,000%. If we can continue building on our mistakes and recognizing that so many of the inventions, you know penicillin was discovered through a mistake. Do you know the millions of people, I could even say probably billions of people that were alive or saved from illnesses, strep throat and all that because of a mistake. That's how antibiotics was discovered. And that's the concept. It's okay. The point is, are you going to learn? Are you going to work on overcoming them? Now, if you give yourself a 10-year process to overcome it, you'll find yourself successful. The problem is when we don't allow ourselves to make a mistake, and we've got to do it right away. Yeah, but the, the other problem is, in that question, is that, you know, you could be giving chizik to someone, and then later on you'll, you'll, bang your head, you'll bang your head and say, hey, look, I'm a hypocrite, you know, I'm doing this and that. So Let's stop same... a second. Notice, notice your words. That person you give chizik, but you have you expect yourself to be perfect. Uh huh. Right. So it's the same. Uh, so the issue is you're not being honest time. to yourself. The same chizik you give him, take chizik for yourself. Right. Now, are right. you allowing yourself to make a mistake? Right. Arvinus, so what do you say about this? I said first of all, when you learn the, you know, you can get a ramban. Said, you know, when you're going out of the book, try to apply it to yourself. And the, the most important thing is try to be honest with yourself. Try to be this and the Shevai Ipol, Sadiq, become. It's something that you will always, it's, uh, otherwise, you're not angel. And I tell you, I discovered that I'm not angel. I have a father and mother. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, every, everyone is not is a human. And we are entitled to make mistakes. We're entitled to do something that, but in order to not to feel hypocrite as you say just try to apply it upon yourself and you say even if you tell your, my friend, your friend or tell my, my you know, people that, that I am doing the same mistake sometimes and uh, unfortunately that's, but this has become mechazek uh, and be a be better, better person this is the whole idea to be a better person try to learn from your mistake and I, I, I know that to put it, I, I'll move it to another dire- direction. And I know that in the university, that one thing that when uh, we learn at architecture or architecture and the design stuff, we're starting with the, the anti-material, basically from the opposite of the, you know, it's called brainstorming, and working right. with exactly the opposite material, exactly, exactly things, you know, I know that we work with the NASA about suit for the astronaut and the thread of the, the suit was starting with a, a spider web you know, this is what's the something that we're starting from total different issue, then coming to textile and all this stuff, but we learn from other stuff around us and learn from our mistakes is the most important thing in our life just by the way, people, several people have been texting that they want to know what's the name of my book I guess you should say that the book is called Alive, A 12-Step to a Vibrant Life. And Merit Hashem, it should be hitting the stores this Thursday in two, three days. It should be coming this Thursday, Friday, Merit Hashem. No, Bezot Hashem. Bezot Hashem. Right. What's your second question? Let's go quickly to the second one. The second question is like this. Um, I was told many times from my rabbis and everyone that uh, men work with, with, uh, you know, with a cheshbon, and ladies, they work with the emotions. How is it possible to avoid, you know, when someone does something good to his wife, right? So she does good to him. But that second, when, when you do something wrong, or not even wrong, it's something that she won't like, 
she's going to start, you know, she's going to start arguing and, and yelling and screaming. But, like, the whole week you were doing everything, you know, everything was amazing. Everything was great. It's just that one little thing you didn't do all of a sudden, you know. It's like, in a way, it's not fair. But in a way, it's like, okay, you could understand because ladies work with emotions. Oh. How do you... Uh... Right, listen, take over first, and then I'll go after. There's so much of this question that's like a, an hour schmooze, but it's, we'll... It's really something that uh, <laughs> our schmooze is all life schmooze, you know. Because this is, we have to face reality <laughs> in a certain way. That really has, uh, and they, the Chilonese side, they said the men's from Mars and women from Venus. And uh, I know I call it uh, history uh, uh, archive. When uh, when you do something that the, the woman can pull out from the air, history archive, all the things that you ever, ever done in your life. But this is something that uh, really, it it's, has to be a face uh, that we said that water... Built from two highly explosive material, hydrogen and and uh, oxygen, right? And when you combine it together, is the life is a vital li uh, liquid of the world. And this is a man and a woman. I would say this is we are we are the vital life. And together, we have to learn how to to work together. It's it's not it's not. I know that it's. It, it's sometimes aggravated, sometimes it seems not fair, as you said in the word, it's not fair, but we have to understand that we are to be complete in the shalom together and to accept each other and to know that to work together. This is my uh, point of view. <laughs> Great, thanks. And I would take a different angle. First thing is, um, if you're always giving in and the one time you say no, your wife gets upset, two thoughts, is that healthy now? No. Is it healthy to always have to say yes? Is that called oh, a marriage? Healthy, healthy, okay, healthy. fine. Right, no. No, it's not. Step one. Step two is, how about your wife might even appreciate when you're a bit assertive or when you have an opinion? She might not like it. Again, if it's balanced, we're not talking about dictatorship. But And the husband as well. <laughs> when someone has principles, it gives security and safety. My husband knows what he's doing, or this is what my husband likes, or this is what my wife likes. I know what they like, I know what they don't like, and this is the principle. Why are you getting so afraid if a wife got a little emotional? It's okay. Not. Ah, it sounded like your question was that it's a problem that if you once say no and your wife gets upset, that you're all affected by that. No, it's your just that to something, say, what? something that's not, um, I would say something that's not fair. And something Why that's, is it not uh, fair? Why can't someone just verbalize saying I have a different opinion than you, and I think you're wrong? But it's not. It's I'm not going like in a question matter. That's a different topic, different question. What I'm saying is like when you do an action, when you do an action, like you're doing like a hundred things during the day. Everything's amazing. You buy your breakfast and you've got everything. And that one little thing uh, that you do wrong, all of a sudden she explodes. Or I got two points. Got... Either there's a lot that you're missing to the story, or B, you're not doing everything, the hundred things right, and uh, you're you're not seeing the two hundred things you might be doing wrong, or your wife's got issues. But that's not regular for a guy for someone to do a hundred things right. Either now I've seen this all the time where a person comes to me and asks me that question like I'm a white innocent sheep, and meanwhile you speak to the other side and you hear boy. What's going on over there? So let's recognize that there's a lot more to your question. This question isn't um, that simple. A question, will the book be in the Yiddish version? Well, the Ezra Hashem, if this will be a mega success, 
um, then we can talk about it. If it will be, unfortunately, a colossal failure, then there definitely won't be. Not, not, not book two and not a Yiddish version. I'm sure it will be successful. So let's, let's right. deal with one step at a time as the questions are coming in. Let's get the book out. Let's have it help people. Let's have a success. And then we can start discussing about getting it in Yiddish, Merit Hashem, maybe even in Hebrew. Thank All you right. for your questions. All right. Who do we have next? Miss W. Miss W. You're on with Mordecai Yes. Thanks so much for taking my call. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, before I even start to ask my question, I actually want to thank Hashem for sending us such wonderful shalochen. And thanks to you, Rabbi Weinberger, and Harav Nissen as well for hosting this amazing program. Thank really, you. Um, so appreciate it. And what a great schuss it is to enhance so many lives with such clarity and awareness. Thank you. I really enjoyed so much. I appreciate uh, it. Now, that was a beautiful to continue those great work. Amen. And help more people in Christ well. Amen. Thank you. That uh, was beautiful, by the way. So it's very nice. Thanks. Very nice. I just, before asking a question, just a piece of feedback that I would like to share. Um, uh, just, I, I'm actually a new listener to your phone line, so I just recently got to know about it, and I can actually say that even this short while, I, I experienced so much growth for Hashem, and just one point which I would like to share that I feel I really grew a lot is, I used to be more like anxious and tense, and since I was listening to this amazing program on anxiety, and even the one on, how is it called, um, I think, Pressure versus Hardware. Yeah. I really found so, so helpful. So let's go. I have over here the paper in front of me. I came prepared. So Pressure versus Hard Work. The concept yeah. of that program is number 62 on the phone line. So the number is 718-298-201. It's in Section 1. And it's giving the concept that pressure is something that knocks us down and hard work is something that break, uh, builds us up. And anxiety is number three in that section one. So that number is 718-298-2011, 718-298-2011. Yeah, section one. Yeah, so basically I want to say that really I feel by now, I feel so much more relaxed and calm and able to focus well. Wow. Really, so I really appreciate it so much. And actually all of those amazing lectures and, and programs and even those fantastic shows, really, especially those those shows, I find so um, insightful and even motivating, which I can say I, I really um, feel now so motivated to actually want to keep climbing. I want to grow Thank and you. become a you, better person. <laughs> you've just hit the whole point of all the sheer and everything that I do, which means... Yeah, really, I, I became really hooked to this front line, I, I must Thank say. You. It's like... I see. I find it just as a, a lifesaver. Um, okay. Thank so you. My and just question, for you to know, the positive about that is that when people start looking how to grow and being able to enter the game of life, and that's again one of the main purposes of the books. Because some people aren't so audio. Some people like to read. Some people like it on Shabbos. And their gemaras, there's makayras to everything at the end of every chapter. We also specifically made sure that it should not look like a safer, but it should be more information, but you should have everything that keeps the Yiddish and that flavor to see where everything comes from. But the concept is to start getting a movement of people looking to grow and people to start talking about growing and to people to feel good about finding your weaknesses and growing. And Baruch Hashem, 
I, I'd like to tell you, sort of like welcome you to the family of growth. And I'm, I'm proud and honored to, you know, to have such a great family with thousands of people, thousands of people literally, uh, you know, call in a day. And to your question, too much flattery might actually get to my head. Uh, okay, just um, I'm not really sure that I'm so well in expressing myself, so really so what I would appreciate. No, I was prepared here. I wasn't, I wasn't just talking out of the blue. <laughs> just um, in case I'm not very clear, or just the opposite, if you find me very clear, just I would appreciate if you can just like, kind of finish off my sentence so I know. Go ahead, finish your sentence and I won't. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, I'd like to ask you, how can you help me just break out of a fear of speaking up for my rights? Like, I was working on this for quite some time. I just recently got aware of it, actually. And I feel like even though I try very much to to work on it, it just kind of hurries me. And I feel like it actually affects me very badly. Yes. And actually, I can say I find it more like a lack of courage, which is holding me back of being assertive and have open communication when it really is meant to happen. Yes. So what can you say about that? <laughs> okay. First of all, I've got a program set for that, and it's program number 16, which is Stop Negotiating with Terrorists. Okay, I'm talking about negotiating with um, authority, really, no, not with just friends. Uh, really, I, this this um, weakness I feel more regarding um, adults and people. Okay. So then I've got another special program for you, which is number 33, which is Know Your Rights. And that is sort of like when we had that first caller, when that girl called up and said that she had a friend or she has different friends, and a friend would tease her or, or like sort of make her feel guilty that you have other friends, what about me? And then you can have the response to be able to tell them, oh, I'm allowed to have a lot of friends. So in the program of Know Your Rights, that is really a book that I'd like to write, but I think it's like number seven on the list of books I'd like to do. But the concept of Really, that, I was listening to that already, I think even more than once. Yes. It, it, it impacted me a lot, but I feel like I'm missing this, I don't know how to call it even. Like, Maybe practice, which means role play. Maybe... Would it help you if we would role play? Imagine I'm an authority. You be the authority and I'll be you. Give me a topic. Um, well, it isn't just... Really, uh, what I would want to say now is it, it really isn't very family appropriate. That's why I just didn't um, put it into detail. No, change but... it. Just change the topic. Like, don't give me a real topic. Let's make this, let's assume that you are, you're working in a company and you want to raise and I'm now and you... Okay, I'll be you and you be the boss. Um, let me think of... <laughs> don't pick anything Actually, real. you know what? Should I give you an example that no, I just recently No, I don't behind? want you to do anything real, because people do regret. Sometimes people call me up to please remove it from the phone line. It gets very complicated. Okay, I have no problem with that, because really, um, I'm not going to say anything wrong about any anyone. It's just uh, an experience that I had. Okay. And so. I really had to um, get peop um, somebody involved to help me just to, to get myself, uh, to get my, like... To get myself be able to raise my voice, actually, just I wasn't able to say anything just because I'm like so, uh, I don't know. Okay. Well, but maybe gentle? I, I'm not yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, very true. Excellent. So accept yourself. Recognize we all have strengths. We all have limitations. Yeah, but, but really what, when I find it really like a problem is when I feel afraid to, to, 
to, like, say whatever I feel since I'm afraid of a rejection, like, sort of. That's it. That's and right. And I don't know. I feel, like, really stuck in it. Now, let me ask you something. Was there a lot of criticism in your life, if not yeah. from your family, yeah, but even definitely. from within yourself? So we've got the program number five. It's a pleasure how I got all the papers in front of me. I can tell you which program. It's called The Poison of Criticism. And you understand how it affects your brain, what happens to your self-esteem, and there are also tools and tips how to get out of there. So number five is the poison of criticism, and number six is caught in the trap of regret. Okay, that one I really enjoyed, the trap of regret. I was listening to it, and it made such a difference to me. That's right. I could tell you in the book, one of the most important chapters, again, that I would recommend for you would be the permission to make mistakes and to, because over there we discuss regret, doubt that happens in our mind when we make mistakes, when we make mistakes, the expectation of perfectionist. And that's where that chapter number two is about allowing yourself to make mistakes. And in chapter one, which is about first building your self-esteem, each chapter is meant to build on the next. Mm-hmm. So it's about once you have a self-esteem, imagine you can write down, as we give you a choice of about 100 positive steps that so you can be strong. Imagine you know you'll have 35 or 40 strengths. You know your strengths. Then you start being allowed to make mistakes. You don't feel broken when you make mistakes. You're not afraid. No, it's not. It's not actually that I'm afraid of a mistake. I'm afraid of the reaction of the mistake. Like, I understand. I understand exactly what you're saying. But when you're afraid of their reaction, that means inside you're afraid of being wrong. Everything that's starts right, within ourselves. I know that, that there's a bad reaction coming. No, I, no, 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 no. You missed what uh, I said. You're not afraid of the other person's bad reaction when you're safe within yourself. If you have a healthy self-esteem, the other person can have okay, a yeah. horrible reaction, and you're still comfortable. It's like when a dog barks, you might be afraid, but you're not barking back to the dog. Why aren't you barking back? Because when you're confident within yourself, you know the bark is a scare. You're not barking back. You don't need to bark back. That's right, but when it, when it comes to authority, I feel I... I can't really... Um... So I would like to change the words, and maybe you'll hear it this way. When okay. it comes to authority, you lose your self-esteem. And maybe yeah, when you will right. find your self-esteem with authority within yourself, then you will allow yourself to make mistakes to authority to say whatever it is in an appropriate way if it's to parents, but still halakhically there are appropriate things to say. And if it's to teachers, there's an appropriate way to question teachers. There are, and it's must, and it's needed. And the halacha brings out many times that if teachers or people tell you to do an avera, you're not allowed to listen. There's a level of needing to think for yourself. But if you don't have that ability, then it will block you. Hey, I hear what you're saying, but what about if I actually go to a specific point here? Um, what about being assertive to, 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 like, to people that are above you? Like, well, again, the, uh, what happens if the person above you tells you to do an avera? Uh, no, I'm not talking about that, really. Okay, I'm let's change it. What happens if someone tells you to do something against what, you're, what you think is right? Forget about now halacha, against what you think. No, feel. Not, that's not necessarily right. I feel like sometimes I just can't accept it. It's just like hard to do or hard to accept. Now, that's a lot more deeper question because is it that you <sighs> can't do it? Is it that you don't like it? Is it that you disagree and you're even afraid to realize that you disagree? That's why chapter number one is first know yourself. People are upset with authority and they don't even know why. And most of the time, the person doesn't even have themselves. Yeah, I understand that, that, um, that there are times that I'm, that I'm 
What? No, I'll tell you what. We got the idea. We gave the concept. Okay. And now it's already more on a different level. Okay, so let me not let me not waste your time, Taka. But can I ask just one stupid little question? Sure, one, as long as you take out the word stupid, that's again okay, knocking down okay, the chapter number one of building I've your self-esteem. I've been listening. Okay. Now notice words to... that we use. That's the point in chapter one. When we use negative okay, words, yeah, it means what's right. going on within us. I want you to realize the negative self-talk that's going on in there. <laughs> You so bet. while you're telling me that you've got a great self-esteem, your words are saying otherwise. Your words are telling no, you. No, I didn't say. I, I didn't say I'm so good at self-esteem. No, I didn't oh, say that. Okay, so then in that case, then before we're going to go <laughs> deal with authority, first build a self-esteem. Once uh -huh. you build a self-esteem, then you might find that a lot of the issues you have with authority and what to tell them will be so much easier. Mm-hmm. Okay, just to my question, I, I just listened to the pro the the radio show that you had like about around two years ago, I think. About, which was really designated for the teens in pain. Yes. I must tell you that it touched me so much. And I feel like I feel such an urge to want to do something. Do you have any idea like what Certainly. you can save? Help yourself. Build yourself okay. a Okay, I know. When you light, <laughs> when you're a light. No, 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 no. It's not, I'm not saying that facetiously like a joke. I mean, no, like, very no, seriously. No, I'm not. When I you understand. will shine, people will connect to you, people that are hurt. Why does someone have to be of the derech to get our sympathy? How about a good friend no, of yours? No, not at all. That I, will I see really you am shine. Very... All right, so I'm sharing with you. By you shining, you can have a friend that is on the derech but is in pain that will feel safe to open up to you. By you, let's say, listening to this program and having advice, what I'm actually trying to get feedback from people is that people are getting educated in psychology, educated in therapy, educated in how to build up people. And they're telling me, I'm having all my friends calling me up. I, become, I became a therapist, and they don't have the rest of the tools how to deal with it. But that is a step. You want to know how to do better. Build yourself up. You want to be able to help people in pain? Build yourself up. Be a shine. Be a lighthouse. Instead of going down, we can't help everyone. It bothers me that I sometimes can't help the teens at risk. No, it's not, it's not that, it's, it's actually also like a point where I feel like I, I would enjoy, like I would really feel like this, um, I'll tell you what, call up, find your local organization this. right around, there's a lot of kids, just find out, there are girls, call up your school, call up no, the teachers. No, I don't think in our place where we live in, it's like so okay. um, advanced in it. And in, in that case, area. let's go back to let yourself shine. I thank you for your call and for your okay. message. Okay, thank you so much My for you. My pleasure, thank you. Oh, okay, bye. Excellent. Um, someone's asking over here, what is the number to the phone line? That's 718-298-2011, and it's section one where I have the hour programs with Gemaris put into it. 718-298-2011, and section one are the shiurim that we've got over here. Who do we have next? Uh, uh, really, oh. uh, something question that uh, already few, she doesn't want to be an air single mom with a very problematic kids that uh, take the money from her and insult her. What do you advise? She I recommend that she goes to one of the organizations where they take any type of insurance, take OHEL, take Jewish Board Family Services. Um, in Lakewood, they've got two organizations, Chemed and LCSC, because this question is, I consider this pikuach nefesh. If you're dealing with it correctly, you can save the lives of the children. If not, we can make it worse. And that's something I would never do over a phone line you know, over, over the Internet, just that answer. What I will say is, do not get fooled 
by those $2 answers, you know, where you just put in a quarter and you're going to get a paper with an answer. This is years of work, and from, an ex from a therapist, with what you're saying, I hear so much behind that. Uh, let's, let's, let's even say just from this question what I hear. What I hear is that you're an amazing heart and you care about the world. What I also hear is that somehow you're missing, uh, you know, let's not go into what I hear. All right, let's put it this way. Um, just remember, I don't know who you are. I don't know anything. Harv Nissen has told me zero about you, so I'll just tell you what I hear in the question. What I hear is that while you know how to help everyone, how to make everyone feel good, to your own family somehow, not only are they not getting it, but they're resisting it, and you're not even aware what are you doing different that to the whole world they respect you, but to your own family they're not. What I also hear is that there's so much pain in your life that you're finding yourself a victim instead of, and I got an entire program called, it's a number 32 on my phone line, I am a victim. And that's people that are finding themselves victims over and over, and somehow they don't see what am I doing, what is my part in it that I'm continuously being a victim. Now, it's easy to blame the Rabbi Nishleilam, but somehow when we go to the Rabbanim, they tell you, let's stop blaming the Rabbi Nishleilam, let's start taking our action. That's you. Now let's go to the kids. The kids somehow are not feeling that they have the respect while they might love you, but their behaviors are coming out the exact opposite, which will now be affecting them. They love their mother, but somehow they're... And I'm making an assumption you said it's a lady. It's a lady, right, a mother. And somehow these kids want to love you, and yet the negative effects are coming out. Now the guilt that they feel... They feel horrible in their own private self. They then beat themselves up and the negative self-talk that's going on. Then how do you react when they're chutzpahdik? What are the words that you say? Do you say, I understand you, let's talk about it at a more peaceful time? Or do you start yelling and screaming? Or do you start hitting back? And sometimes when we fight, when we're triggered, we're not thinking clear. Then there are words that are being said. And then the kids say words that they don't mean. And there's a cycle that builds up. Then we've got the kids, that have, there's tension at home where there's fighting going on, and they go to school, and they might have gone to school angrily. Usually these kids will be more confrontational in the morning. So Rebbe might say good morning, and this kid will have an angry face if it's a boy or a girl, or the teacher will say good morning, and have the angry face. What's wrong with you? Oh, now you're messing with me? You're starting up? And then this starts this whole vicious cycle. So what I hear is very seriously, there's an awareness that needs to be gained. There is hands-on therapy that needs to be shifted by you. And again, I don't know you, and I could be wrong on every single one of these points. There needs to be an awareness to your children as to what are they, what's bothering them, what's being triggered, how to verbalize, how to express it in a kosher, healthy way. If there's a battle going on, I was just told, for an example, someone just called me up about the parent is so nervous that they're being audited by, the, by taxes, by the, by the what, what is it called, um, uh, the IRS. Sorry, I was going to say IRA, I'm thinking I know it's not that, by the IRS. And because they are nervous about that, this parent is now made their whole entire family's life miserable over Purim and fighting Pesach already, who's not coming, and the parent isn't aware, it's because they're being audited. So if we can have a therapist that's trained, that will speak to your kids, start finding out what's going on, it can, several sessions, just create a therapeutic alliance so we can start un uncovering why is someone as special like you, so caring like you, but yet having the opposite effect in the family. And let me just tell you something, it, these things usually have a purpose and usually have a reason. I'm not going to say always, because many times the Rabbi Shalom has the lessons that he wants us to go through and he will make it done his way. But many times from experience, the parents and the kids can 
make big changes. But for that to happen, we've got to do that. So again, that's why I am not addressing this at all and why I feel not just one therapist, you might need guidance, your kids might need guidance, and just to teach them how to balance that. And these are what I call those pikoach nefesh cases for life. You can change a family. And I would add to it, don't shovel under the carpet. Oh, no, the worst. Please don't, because it gets worse. I've just had a, several clients come to me. I had to send them away when they wanted a response in like six weeks. They want to get better when, unfortunately, I said, this sounds like a two-year case with medication at this point that I got it. Of course, they didn't want to continue, and I didn't want to continue. So it was a mutual agreement. But the longer you shove it under the carpet, when you need to deal with it, it takes more years. And then somehow we start blaming the therapist. Oh, the therapist is in it for the money. The therapist isn't good. I'm already going six months. Well, maybe this is four generations going on and it takes about 10 years to heal and to stop three generations of these issues that are going on and maybe the therapist isn't good i just mean to say the other side that one of the things that i do is sometimes when it's those long hard cases why take the pain and go through all the abuse so unfortunately that's sometimes what i do but that's just me mrs m mrs m you're on with mordechai hello Yes, you're on. Yeah, hi. Um, I have a problem saying no to people. And so do I, by the way. Welcome to the club. <laughs> now, what's your question? I don't know how to say no to people. What would if you like? If someone asks me for a favor or something, I just do it. I can't say no. Okay, now let's start. Let's do on a cognitive level. That means the awareness about your thoughts. What goes through your mind when you need to say no? What goes through my mind? Like, I want to be nice to them. Okay, good. I one don't thing want to is hurt want, them. Uh, exactly. Number one, you want to be nice. Number two, by saying no, you're going to hurt them. Notice these thoughts that we're going to challenge in a moment. I want you to know this is chapter number five in my book because it's so important, the need to say no. In fact, I'll even share with you. Let's really be open with everyone listening. I have sessions on me usually every two weeks. It means I have a therapist that works on me. The last six months, probably since the summer, I have now every single week sessions that I go for therapy. And one of the issues that I had to come up with is saying no. That came up in my last session. As much as I say no, there's still guilt and other thoughts that come across. And it was a beautiful session, which I know it, and part of that was reviewing my chapter that I have about saying no, even though it didn't come out to the stores yet, but since I'm the author, I got the chapters. So I reviewed that. And as I was davening this morning, Shachris, there was a famous question of, that I heard from the Skolene Rebbe that he asked, when we say Baruch Shamar, why do we say Baruch Geyser Umakayim? We say all these beautiful things, Baruch, all those great Baruchas. Why do we say Baruch Geyser Umakayim? It sounds like a bad thing. Geyser is a bad thing. And then Makayim, he's, he's being Makayim that. So Skolene Rebbe touched it beautifully. He says, Baruch Geyser, if Hashem gives a Gzeir to someone that is hard, Makayim, he gives the person the strength to grow out of it. But in my session, when I daven today, based on my session, when I daven Baruch Geyser Makayim, it's accepting the rules that Hashem has created in nature. That means if it's time for winter, if it's time for Shabbos, you're not allowed to cook anymore. We need to accept, and the entire chapter is about accepting the fundamental laws of nature. And that is there is day, there is night. There is a time to do something, there is a time when not to do something. And if we don't respect the laws of Hashem, we will get hurt. So one of the concepts, if you can realize saying no is helping the person. And the, Which person? The other person. When you tell the other person no, when you tell yourself no, it helps you and it helps them. 
Imagine someone has to work and they don't want to work. Imagine someone is 30 years old, they're married, they need to get a job. Now, I'm not talking about if someone's choosing to be in Kyle. That's a huge job, probably the hardest job ever. But I'm talking about someone just wants to work and or doesn't want to work, and everyone's giving them money, but they need more money, and no one wants to give them more money. Is that doing them a favor when you tell the person you've got to get a job, you have to be responsible for yourself, or are you hurting them? Are you doing an Avera by giving them, by not giving them money? No. No, but that person's going to get angry at you. What do you mean? Don't you see how hard it is? I need money. Get a job. I don't know what job I want. You can't just make me get a job. Notice how the guilt is you, but what happens if you don't give them money? What will they be forced to do? Go to work. That's right. And they might get the first job that they won't like, but if no one helps them, no one bails them out, that's unfortunately those people that suffer from addictions. One of the hardest levels that the family members must recognize is that almost always you have family members that we call codependents that always bail them out and they don't have to learn the difficult parts of life. What if it's not such a big problem? Like, if it's I say no, problem. then... It's a huge problem when you say no, because you have such a hard time no saying it. So instead of saying it's a small thing, it's huge. If it would be so small, then you wouldn't have an issue saying no. It's your fear that they will blow up. It's your fear that they will be hurt. It's your fear that they will drop you as a friend. It's a huge mm-hmm. issue saying no. If you can recognize all the fears that come from saying no... Right, so what's with all the fears? I should ignore them? Ah, that's where we start having the books. That's where you start writing them down. That's where you have a coach or someone to speak to or a therapist, like to start identifying them. You might go to a Rav or a teacher that you have. You know something? When I say no, these are the automatic thoughts that come to mind. I'm a bad person. People are going to drop me as a friend. And then you challenge it. That's cognitive therapy. means we have a thought, and now we challenge the thought. Is it really true if I tell someone no, if a friend asks me, can you go out with me now, and you say no, that they're going to drop you as a friend? No. No. Is it true that if you tell someone right now, I want to go to sleep or I can't help you, or I already gave you money and now I'm not going to give you more money that they will hate you? No, but if I say it every time, then... If you say something every time, that will happen. If you say something balanced, then what do you think will happen? Notice here's mm-hmm. another challenging thought that you have. If I say it once, no, I will always say no. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yeah. Wait, uh, let's challenge the thought. Is it true that if you tell someone once in a while no, you'll always tell them no? No. No. So this is cognitive therapy where we write down all your thoughts, all your challenging, all those, and we challenge those thoughts. So you write down, I have a hard time saying no. Now, what are the thoughts? What, what are the automatic thoughts? I'm a bad person. Now, let me ask you, are you a bad person if you say no? No, you're not. That's it. So all these thoughts... So you don't challenge them right away. First you write down, when I say no, what do I feel bad about? I'm a bad person. I don't want the person to tell me no. The person might never want to be my friend. I will say no all the time. Just keep on writing the whole list. And then you start challenging one by one. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that that's going to help me? Let's find <laughs> out. Try it and call us up next week, Mertz Hashem. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, thank you. My pleasure. The number to uh. call in, I choose all the lines are packed, so we'll just keep it. The way it is, and again, just wanting to announce to everyone, Merit Hashem, coming out with the book, should be in stores this Thursday, the 12th, March 12th. It should be hitting the stores, all the local Judaicos, called Alive, a 12-step to a vibrant life, created with stories, Makairis, Gemaris, and again, 10 of the most important concepts that I work with almost every client. I decide, let's go give it, let's put it on books so people can have that, you can share it with your teenagers, share it within yourself, share it with your spouse. It's just a great read with a lot of stories and positive sides to it.
I just got a phone call that a um, person just really appreciate the program and he said about the addiction a little bit. Maybe we can be more awareness about the addictions. And right now we have um, Mrs. S. Mrs. S. Hi, good evening. Good evening. I hear you kind of very far away. Um, it's probably your phone. Oh, no, because I heard you good until now. Um, but maybe it was on the speakers on the different line. Nothing has changed. I don't changed know. We're going to try and make it work. Um, that is I really brave. You can give me, please, a few tips. Um, unfortunately, a very close family is um, about to die, and it's kind of a matter of hours to days, and I'm scared to death. How do you deal with such big fear? Well, first let's recognize that that is a lot more than the scope of a two to three minute or ten minute conversation we do. So we'll try to help you, but really, it's needed more professional guidance. Yeah, but my therapist is on vacation until the 18th. Oh, wow. So I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of stuck. All right. So I still need to give the waiver that I'm not being a therapist. Now I'll give you some tools because it's a big, it's a big thing. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Right. If I would be able to, I would make a session. I'm just not so figured. Excellent. Let me can try you and contact? Get Has your therapist left you a number for an emergency, which means maybe there's someone else that can help or just guide? I just need to take, and part of, for those listening, I just want to create the awareness where we need to create a balance. Need to create, and I, I'm sorry, when I say balance, I mean boundary. I need to say what I could do, what I can't do, and this sounds like this is a huge issue, and a huge issue might not be healthy to even start opening up if I'm not able to close it. No, I want kind of a few tips, not to be so tense, be able Good. to so go I want on you with... to be aware that I am know what you want, but I need to be aware as a therapist what might happen if I start doing points. And that's the awareness I want to create for people, that sometimes if something can be very big and we might not be able to deal with it in 10 minutes or in a session or in two sessions, I might not open it up. It's a great awareness, just your question in itself. Now, it's, to uh -huh. me, this is a bomb. This isn't a little question. This is someone is about to die in the next couple of hours. You're terrified to death, as your words were, or petrified to death. Right. And you want me to give you tips and tools in 10 minutes or less. That's something <laughs> that might not be possible. Um, okay, or very so... likely not possible. And therefore, I don't even want to start. And this is the awareness to create, because many times I tell teenagers, don't open it up if you're not able to deal with it. If you're a Mohanoch and you see there's a problem that's too big, don't get into it. Leave it to those that are licensed or that have the qualifications to deal with it. Uh -huh. Okay, so we should basically put down? Oh, no, that's not what I'm saying now. What I'm first creating is the awareness that for you to know that it might be too much and I might not want to give too much information because it might be too much. Now, I'm going to go give you some tips. I'll ask some questions, and I want you to tell me this is too much. I don't want to go there. I want to give you that permission because I will not be there to close it up after we hang up. Okay. Great. Um, what are your fears about this person being nifter? Um, the fears is um, the, the person is very scared of death. Um, that no one actually could risk her from where she's at, and she's actually about to die. Um, the fear of what's after, um, you know, we're always afraid of the unknown. And um, what my role is as a, as um, I should say to my mother-in-law, so what's my role as, as um, a supporter for the family member that's mostly affected by that, which is my husband. Yes. 
So, but my main fear is about what is she feeling? How is she taking it? Is she okay with it? Yes. So let's let's recognize this concept, and um, you've just created a tremendous awareness. Um, so. Um, Okay. I realized that the less I think, the better it is. That I do, that I did realize. The no, less no. I yes, but what I, what I'd like you to recognize are the different roles. Me as a therapist, I'm hearing the roles. What is your issue? Who's involved? What I'm hearing is you're worried about a spouse that is about to lose a mother. Right. The mother is afraid of death. Husband will get affected. You're getting affected by husband. And what I'm hearing is there's no one solid right now over here, which means. Tools. The, um, there's a concept called the holding holding space in therapy. If the therapist is afraid of the issue, the therapist cannot be that therapist, because the therapist needs to exude confidence and needs to feel the safety and the security in what they are doing for the outcome to be successful. As in any business and in any field, it's like when parents are afraid and they don't have the inner strength to put the kids to sleep, the kids will never go to sleep. Okay, I understand what you think. So now let's first deal with you. What can give you the power to feel safe during the process that the Rabbeinu Shleilam is now taking a Yiddish Neshama back to the Kisei covered, and there's a lot of fear and apprehension. And what can you do? First, we need to ground yourself as therapist or as leader, as the person being a support. You need to ground yourself. What will give you the security? So maybe I should learn the Sefer Abitachim, what's it called? Because over there, there might be some information that everything is meant to be in. Excellent. And you might also want to look at some of the Svarim where the Rabbi Nishleilim is saying every edition of Shamo, listen to some of those, I, I don't know, I'm just thinking now offhand, which are some of the Svarim that give Chizuk about the love and the Avad the Rabbi Nishleilim has to us in every edition of Shamo. Uh, it was just, is just there. The Rambam, I'm just thinking now offhand, thinking where it is, I saw it's in Hilchus Tshuva, that if a person, even the last second, says, Rabbi Yishlam, I'm doing Tshuva, I feel bad for what I did, he's guaranteed a place straight in Eilam Hava. It's, it's the Rambam in Hilchus Tshuva right away. There's and and what, what about, though, the, when it, like yesterday, it was a real bad day, they thought every second, and I couldn't deal with phone calls. Every phone call, I jumped. Like, no, I'm see, afraid that's of the moment. Issue. So you're talking about reassuring them, and I'm first talking about reassuring you. Uh-huh. So after I learned so that... That's what I'm saying. That's on, I'll, I'll now be a little bit controversial. A large part of my issue of people helping others is that I have a problem with my Shalom bias, so I'm going to give you advice in your Shalom bias. Unfortunately, in order to help someone, you need to be worked on that within yourself, and that's one of the main issues and reasons why I take sessions on me all the time. I'm a human being. I am married, Baruch Hashem. I've got children. I've got Parnosa. I've got clients. And Harv Nissen just gave us over here the book, The Garden of Amuna, which is fantastic. That might right. be able to help us from Shalom Arush. Arush. Right. And by the way, you said, Shalom Bais, I want to tell Mr. E that always has to be explode, we regret. And men, yeah, so the women that explode regret, yes, thank you for that information. But there's still too much more to that question. I'm, a, I'm too much of a seasoned therapist to just have that, that the husband says yes to 100 things, and the one time he says no, the I wife know, explodes. I know, it's just the fact that we, we, we do explode. I agree. No, I, have I, it. I disagree with that. I disagree. Even if, you, if a wife does explode, 
once in a while that's okay, or if there's more pressures, but if it's the one time that he says no, the wife explodes, either there's a disorder with her or a disorder with him, but the question is a lot more... I wasn't going to go but there. But in general, for all men, it's good for them to know that after we explode, ah, we yes. regret. In general, that's right. When do I, and the same for those women that hear, the same for the men. When the man gets nervous or frustrated about finances or frustrated when he says no, there is regret later. And the goal is if both if the opposite spouse can remain calm and safe, the quicker the other spouse could come back and say, you know something, I'm sorry. If there's an explosion, then no one can upset. Oh, so I have to apologize, and you responding to me? I, I, you're not going to apologize? And he goes, but you, you, you're the one that hit first. Yeah, the more if able to hold calm, it changes the entire dynamics in a relationship. But let's go back over here to your issue. My question would be to you is, how can you be at ease? How can you be confident with this trauma happening? I don't know. That's why I called. So well, the answer thing. is always within you. The answer is always within you. I'd like you to think a moment. What can you do that if you'll hear, unfortunately, that that final phone call has come, the Rebbe has taken back this person to the Kisei covered with love, with saying your time is, that the person's time has been up, what will keep you calm and safe? Forget about helping them. First to yourself. Um, I need to think a moment. Yeah. That's... When that phone call will come, that she is, that I'll, I'll kind of have to convince myself that she's now. Yeah, you at see ease. the word convince yourself has already, has already not done it. What will give yourself the ease? So the image that came to me is like your mother in law smiling to you. You see the Neshama going up and you see her smiling and saying, wow, it's so amazing. I see her like throwing kisses, like saying, ah, the Rabbanishalism is so kind and warm and it's so safe. So I was reading a lot that when the time comes, they kind of make peace with it. And when they see the other side of the tunnel, they see the good. Yes. And, and I hope for her that, that, that there is good. Like, why, why do we discuss this whole, like, we hope there is? I, I don't get this doubt. Um, why? Because... Um, Even if she's a horrible, say, bad person, chas v'shalom, there's room for tshuva. She's a great person. She's a yid. Like, right, but they say that that, that it's, it's still the scare of being um, judged up there, and there are things ah. that you get through before. Ah, so you're focusing on that part of the area. So right. understand what anxiety is. Anxiety is when we look at parts and we focus on that part. And there's the balance. One of the makayrus that I have in the book, about knowing your... I'm not even sure which chapter is now offhand where we did it, but it's from the Mashgiach of Beis Medrash Gavaya. Uh, my mind is now getting blank. Zatzal, not, not, uh, not the Mashgiach now. Um, and he's saying that Rosh Hashanah, Yom, he says Yom Kippur, that if not for the Kedushas of Yom Kippur, we would not be able to say all the Achet because it will knock us down. So if not for the holiness of that day, if we'd be going around, I'm so bad, and look how bad what's happening up there, the Yom Adin, then we're going to be falling down. How it's supposed to be is, yes, we've got to do good. We've got to know that there is the Ema and the Yira. It's got to be balanced. But why are we focused on the Ema and Yira and not the Ava? Uh, so kind of look on the whole, on the whole picture. The whole picture, that's, that's anxiety. So now my question is to you is, how much in that family is there? Maybe don't answer it because people might recognize your voice, but how many people over there are focusing on anxiety? Um, no, I actually have nothing to do with the family, to be honest. But without that, but you're married into it, which means it'll have an effect on you, whether you like it or not. How much in that family is there anxiety and stress, and in yours? Fears. I don't know. In my okay, personal, not, yeah. there is a lot. Okay, exactly. So when there's anxiety, we, our brain usually goes to the negative. If we can learn to create the positive, the image, we'll be able to see what an amazing Kel Racham Vachanan we have. Remember, 
We are from the Bnei Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. We've, and those of us that are Geirim that are listening to this program, we've signed up to this, to this religion. We're less than one, we're one million from people maybe in the world. I think maybe, maybe a two million from completely. Do you know there's seven billion people? And we try to do good and we know we fall. Do you think that when one of those two million from people, and forget what, I don't even want to say from, and how about those that aren't from, but where Yiddish and Neshamas and Rebbein Shalom is waiting for us. I mean, could you imagine how special we are and we're only focused on that purification that stage? Minutes. Could uh-huh. you imagine what it's like the Rebbein Shalom is waiting for us in the mitzvah and how many people that aren't from aren't Shalom mitzvahs, but they believe in the Rebbein Shalom and for whatever reasons they're not from. How many Russian Yidden we have that they suffered years and years and they, for whatever reason, are not able to become from, but they suffered for being a Yid. How many people were most nefesh for a mitzvah, for brismila, over and over? I mean, we so got a real so what, you're saying, what you're saying is that... She's going straight to Gan Eden. I think anyone, I mean, there are Gemaras that say Avram Avinu was standing at the Shara Gehenim, and whoever wants to go over there... And whoever they want to take goes, hold on, there's a brismila, it's a Yiddish person, they, take it, don't, they don't even enter there. There's so many Gemaras the other way, yes, there's a process, no, we can't cheat the system. Uh-huh, but, but there is, but there is, I'm sorry, but... course, in one second tshuva, the second before the nifta, the Ramam says, a person says they do tshuva, there's a mechila. Now, there are different levels of mechila, but, but it's unbelievable what's out there. Why are we focusing on that? that, 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 that and, I'm, and I don't want to say not to focus on that. I have an aima. It comes Rosh Hashanah Kippur. I cry. And I do have regrets. And I know my Averis. And I, and I know I don't even know all my Averis. And I daven I should have a great year. And I daven the Rosh should give me life. I do daven for that. And I daven my family. And so I, basically, basically the, the answer to my fear is knowledge. Thank you, by the way. Someone said, I, I'm so embarrassed I forgot the name of Nasa Vachfogel. It's embarrassing, but that's part what happens when you're on air. The moment, sometimes, yeah, I forget that. And he writes it in his Sefer, and in, and in each chapter we've got Makairis, which is bringing down and the place where you can look it up and where you can see that. I'll give you one more, because I have it in the first chapter about self-esteem, and it is actually from Baron Cutler, which he brings down the Sefer, and again, the exact place where it is we have in, in, the, in the book where he says that one of the biggest problems is that's bringing people to Averis is that we don't know the strength that we have, that we don't realize that the Rabbeinu Shloilam is living within each and every one of us. When we do Averis, it's because, he says, imagine you would have Rabbi Sol Salant in front of you, would you do an Avera? So he says, imagine you have the Rabbeinu Shloilam in us. The problem is we don't really feel and believe that the Rabbeinu Shloilam is within every single one of us. So already I'm calming down. Exactly. Could so you imagine the Rabbi Shalom is with her and ready to take her? The Rabbi Shalom has said, now is her time, and he's going straight to the Kanfiyashkina, right to the Rabbi Shalom. Yeah, it makes sense. Of course. I, I can't imagine otherwise. Now, again, all this is my opinion, so we need to speak no, to her. No, but if I, if I focus on that part, then I really calm down. I feel sorry for her. So now I'm going to take one little thing, and please forgive me for this, but what you're describing is classic anxiety, and what I've done is I just put a little water on a fire, which put it out, but the, but the pilot light is still on. So go for a little bit of help how to deal with it. This way, it's healing the cause. Now, what I would recommend is the inner child. Like the person at the beginning, why do people have to go to the past? I just gave you a cognitive awareness. But chances are, it's going to come up with the next issue, because that's inner work. Here's the type of, I would recommend you look for someone or guidance. doesn't have to be licensed, even, because it looks like you're going to a therapist. Someone that does I inner, am. Yes, yeah, someone does inner work. 
different. The inner child is is where a lot of this work would be. Isn't 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 therapy for death too? Because um, let me clarify. Absolutely not. There's someone that does cognitive behavioral therapy does not do inner child. No, they're very different systems. So what kind of what kind of therapy is inner child? Because I've done several type of therapy. Oh, um, inner child would be EMDR. Not really. No, EMDR is not really meant for inner but, child. But, but it's, made, it's meant for trauma, it's true, but I've been through the process of EMDR. I know that, but while people still heal that, it's still not that much. There's. It brings you up. It brings up a lot of it. Now, understand, bringing up and doing that is still not inner child. Inner child work is when you're completely going into your subconscious, you're completely going to the child work, and you're you're going straight there. You're not but that's EMDR did that. All right, so let me clarify something. Since, uh, and just forgive me for sounding a little bit, since you haven't seen other systems and you've seen one system, you claim... I've seen I a few, no, I've seen CBT and I've seen EMDR Excellent. and I'm doing now cognitive. Now, so now which let me tell you something. CBT, there is EMDR and there are systems that do 90% inner work. And so what's very, the cult? It's an issue to say it over the phone because they're not yet that licensed. That's one of the things that I have is the system that I do is mostly inner work, but yet it's not yet recognized, things like that. And my goal is to train it to therapists that we do completely so inner they work. Don't have they don't have a name yet. They have certain names. There's something I'd recommend, Santry, Santry Therapy. Santry But again, it's, it's play therapy. But the issue is very few people know how to do it for only inner work. It's very complicated, the question. Inner, the whole concept of inner work was laughed at for the last 20 years and it's only coming to the forefront now in the last five years the last 10 years um, and by me talking about it a lot has also created a huge amount so while EMDR is great and I'm trained in EMDR that's not what it's meant for so people are using the tools for that there's a therapy that people like saying PM Melodies work but, and it's great and it also has inner work and it deals with it but there's still more deeper work than that as well so I don't want to start recommending Hypnosis does real inner work, but again, it's very controversial you say the word hypnosis. So that's my limitation when I recommend work that they do many different stuff. So uh -huh. No, I like therapy, to be honest. I really like I therapy. I am not I questioning that you like therapy. I'm just mentioning there's a different component that's also needed. So I didn't know that, and I thank you. So what I'll do for my fear and for my anxiety is I'm going to learn the garden from when I happen to have at home. Beautiful. And I'm going to kind of focus on the good. It helped that already calm me down the minute I know um, it's the best for her. Then and you know what? I would ask everyone listening if we can say one capital to Hillam for a person for Yid that in the Shama is just about any minute going to be going up to the Kisya covered and should have a Rafu Shalema because even Kozman that the person and is alive. Yes, exactly. And Rabbeinu uh, Shleilam should let this let the Neshama go up. So I'm not going to say the capital over the ear. But no, but let her, let her, let her, let her go easy. That's right. Let her go easy and so and not so to mix with the hospitals. Right. Sometimes they're there, and it's just a mitzvah for it to pass already. So let everything go at the yeah, right she's way. Yeah, struggling. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, and the Rebbeinu should give you koyach and continue your growth process. Thank oh, you. Oh my, and thank you. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Said both dynamics. Both dynamics. Yes. Okay. So we have uh, Mayor. Mayor, you're on with Mordechai and Rav Nissen. Hi, is everyone with you? Yes. And Am I on? Thank you very much for calling. 
really appreciate your show, and also I've uh, been not of uh, the new book. I'm very looking forward to uh, ah, Thank it. you. By the way, someone asked over here, those who order the books online, when will they receive it? Can't wait. Well, they're going to go right away. The minute it comes out, they'll probably be getting the first print. And also, Art Scroll is having it on Art Scroll on Amazon. They're even having a sale. If you pre-order it, you get a, it's a 10% off. Sometimes it's 20% off. Now I see it's 10%. So just to be aware that uh, for those of you that would like to order it, it's called Alive. Ten, ten Steps to a Vibrant Life with Siata Deshmaya will be able to help you and um, and have that. Okay. Yes, Thank you very much. And also, I uh, just said a, a couple of weeks ago, you have to do with a few um, callers before, actually, you uh, came up. A few weeks ago, you um, mentioned on the show that I think you said 90% of your clients, the source of the issue comes from perfection. Did I hear that correct? I'd like to change those. When I, I mean, I'm a rough person, so I don't know if I would say 90% of my clients come. What I say perfectionist is one of the biggest... Um, just one second. Oh, the other one asked the text. Yeah, that's what we're dealing with over here. Great. Um, 90% of the issues come from perfection. What I would say is if we heal perfection... Um, probably yes, a huge, huge, huge percentage of all the issues. If we would go down to finding the core of OCD, the core of depression, core of anxiety, um, a huge, huge, huge percentage of that is perfectionist. And that's what I would say the number one Jewish diagnosis that I work with and the from people, personality disorders, narcissism, or, or, um, pers- or borderline is perfectionist is in there. Now, wow. here's where I want to clarify for everyone listening. I don't want people saying, Mordechai Weinberger said, perfectionist is the cause of everything. Absolutely not. It is part of the causes that are there. Now, it could be anxiety, could be trauma, could be fears that we've gone through in life. But you're going to see, and that's why I put such a huge emphasis, and that's why it's in Chapter 2, and that's why I discuss it all the time, that perfectionist, it's a way of thinking, it's a chain of thought that goes along, that that is the root of almost all evil, that brings us to high levels, why we don't make mistakes, why we don't take jobs, why we're afraid of changing jobs, why we're afraid of saying I'm sorry, why we're afraid of saying no, why, we're, why we get depressed. I mean, if you look at each of those, that I would say the number one diagnosis in the from world is perfectionism. And it's an undiagnosable diagnosis, it means if you check the DSM-5, you will not find perfectionist as a diagnosis. Does that make sense now what I mean? Well, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I just, um, I had a few questions about this idea. Go ahead. Um, yes, sorry. So, um, they're basically the same, the same question, more or less. It's just that, um, what's the, what's the reason why, where's the source that only by, or at least most of it by the, from world, there's this issue? So first I have a what theory. Let's recognize theories means everyone can please argue along. Okay, right. so we can agree and or so, disagree. Right, so I'd like to answer, but also um, what, what can we do as you know, as a community, or, you know, just to, to fix whatever that source is? And the last question, which has to do with probably the first two questions, is that, you know, the way we were all brought up, at least I was brought up that, you know, one of the Yugen are that we have to believe in everything we do is reward and everything Sorry, we do wrong is punishment. So how do, how do we tie this in with allowing myself to make a mistake 
and say the idea of um, which I'm sure it's all in the book which I'm looking forward to uh, excellent well it happens to be in the book we bring down many 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 Makairis where it's brought down to the, that the Gedolim one of them is Rabba Bar of Hunu that brought down that he was one of the Gedolim Hadar from the Tanoim and or Amiram and Rav Chisto caught him on a mistake and he quotes Shleim who says Tachas Hamichshol um What's the Pasuk again? I'm trying to remember it offhand. Um, Shlomo Melech says that when you make a mistake, and he teaches it, that only when you make a mistake, the only way you can learn is if you're making a mistake, and you'll never do it again, that mistake again, and you'll learn. And over and over from Moshe Rabbeinu, there's concepts throughout the entire time that in Yiddishkeit about making a mistake is a fundamental belief that it's the only way to learn. Now, the problem is, now, let's put it this way, where it comes from is the beautiful level that, as you're saying it, that we are learning to do better and better and to say, what was the mistakes I did and how do I grow from that? We've taken a concept of growth and we have turned it into, therefore, I am not allowed to make a mistake. Therefore, I can never make a mistake. And I'm not saying we're not going to be asking true. Again, here you have to go through the rav and work that out. But I'd like you to recognize this. Doing better and better does not mean not making a mistake. It means making a mistake and learning from that. In fact, one of the Makaris that we have, it might be under a different chapter, is that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he asked Aaron Akoyan why, why when, they were, when, when, the, when, they, when Aaron was an Oynan and they didn't do the certain, the certain avoiders, so, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu said, why didn't you do it? And Aaron, they, they stared quiet and Aaron Akoyan answered. And Moshe Rabbeinu says over there in the Pasuk, and he corrected, Moshe Rabbeinu was happy and thrilled, said, I forgot. He didn't just say, oh, you're right. He said, I, the Rabbeinu Shalom taught me the halacha like you, and I forgot it, and thank you. Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest Rabbim Shalom, the greatest Navi, was able to, and I, I, I want to say this, I use the words with hesitation, I say he made a mistake, because I don't feel... I have a right to say that, but the Svarma bringing it down for us to learn from it. So the concept is not that we should be perfect. The concept is we should strive to do better and to learn to do better. And we've done that mistake. Now, what can we do as a Kahila? I must tell you that's one of the large parts of this program is to break that number one diagnosis. And um, I must have had at least 30 stories where people were texting me and just thanking me that over Purim, with the snow, with all the plans that have changed, how calm they were because the awareness to stop, the point is the happiness, the point is the Rebbein the point is to be happy when we're doing a mitzvah, not the ribbons, not did we go to everyone, not is everyone, not what will they say to our Shalach Manis. It's did you say Tehillim with your family? Did we daven? Did we thank Hashem for a beautiful time? Did we recognize that as in a lot of the saying Yom Kippurim, that that's how big Purim is and let's daven? Did we think of someone? Did we visit someone? Did we call someone that we didn't call in the past? And as we do that, we can let go of the perfectionist. So this program enlarges what we're doing that. I really appreciate it. Just, uh, with, just to lead up to my last uh, question on what you're saying is that, like, we were all, I mean, I was always brought up. You know, they say stories about the Sintabalim and also some say for about that his wife had kicked him out when she was cleaning up for Pesach. And these ideas of the house being perfect for, for young person and cleaning from comrades, like, we, we hear the stories from different, different, uh, when we were brought up that, you know, the houses have to be perfect. But how do we, so I'll do uh, I'll, like, I'll address it on a different level. This get, is again get, where like, Rav needs to address. But one thing I do tell people is we can't pick and choose our stories. 
Do you want to take the Chassam Seifer? Then you need to go to an Ashkenaz city and take all those Minhagim. When you're going to start taking stories from all over, for an example, someone just told me on the bus coming in from Lakewood that Reb Shlema Babava, how amazing it was that this an Italian person was a painter. He walks into paint and Reb Shlema tells him, hold on, before you paint, did you eat breakfast? How are you going to do something and eat breakfast without eating breakfast? First, he, And he himself made him a breakfast. And then the person says, oh, Rabbi, I'm going to do a perfect job. He says, let me tell you something. We Jews, we had a temple. It was destroyed 2,000 years ago. When the temple was around, God was on this world, and we had perfect, perfectionists. Since then, there's no perfectionist, so don't do perfect. And this painter, the story comes out, how the painter is like telling someone, going to someone's house and says, oh, I want you to do a perfect job. He says, and he pulls out a picture. He says, listen, this is the bub of a rabbi, and he's my rabbi. And he says, there's no such thing as perfect. Now, are you going to start now offering every single person breakfast? You can't take a story... And that's where Hadracha comes in. That's why the, the stories, and the and same thing with my book, it's meant for an awareness. But you need to work on it with someone. Pick a Rav, a Selech Rav. That's my issue. Everyone, these Shilas belong to a Rav. Why are we asking a therapist? I'm just sharing with you some of, uh, some of the information that I get from the Rabban, and when I, because these are the Aleph based Shilas I need to ask. But these questions, who's your Rav, my friend? Don't tell me a name, but do you have a Rav that you can ask this question to? Yes. Good. Now ask him the question. Share with us next the week. Follow, the follow-up question was more, and I have to ask that as well, but my main reason why I called it as like with the source of it, it comes from our community and how to fix that. Source. Yes, and the source is, I believe, because we always want to grow and we want to do better and we look at our various and we want to do better. And unfortunately, we mistake doing better for perfect. And if I didn't do better after three times trying, that means Hashem hates me. And how can I go this Yom Kippur, this Roshon, to the Rabbi Nishlam, when maybe the Rabbi Nishlam, again, you've got to work this out with the Rav, but maybe the Rabbi Nishlam is giving you ten years to get it right. And each time you did it less and less of an Aver, or less of a Taiva to it, and you held back five times, and the sixth time you fell, but you're being perfectionist and saying, I still fell. And that's what you need, Rav. That's mm-hmm. what we need, Hadracha. My friend, uh, so I source, am... So you're, saying the source is, so you're saying the source is really a good source, but just what the outcome is, it has to be positive. That's right, my friend. And anything uh-huh. that brings you to a negative place, and it's not bringing you to a positive, when you're doing it, you need to speak to a Rav if it's really Yiddishkeit, or if it's Atzas Hayetzer, as the Chafetz Chaim mm-hmm. says many times, the Yitzhahara pushes us to do more and more, and he fools us by saying it's a mitzvah, well, really, it's Naveir. Now, again, all this that I'm saying, I'm not saying as a Rav. I'm just saying as someone that has spoken to a Rav that has got struggling through this myself. But for you yourself, what is mitzvah? What isn't? How far should you push yourself? What should you do? Maybe you have fallen and maybe you shouldn't have fallen. That is individualized to contact your Rav and speak to him. Start. One of the concepts that I have and I try to promote all the time is get a connection to a Rav. Get the connection. I'd like to thank you all for listening in. We're going to actually finish pretty much on time because I'd like to still go home tonight, Merit Hashem. So thank you all, Harav Nissen. Thank you, Mordechai. Thank you to all the listeners. And apologize to all the listeners. Yes, They're the still line. online. And yes, they, and, and held the text, so long. And the text and everything, you know. So, but uh, Baruch Hashem, hopefully we did uh, our job and awareness. And I'm sure that people enjoy this program. And uh, that's it. <laughs> thank you. Hatzlacha. Good night.